Marketing Stir podcast by Starista, probably the most entertaining marketing podcast you're going to put in your ears. I'm Jared Walls, associate producer and Starista's creative copy manager. The goal of this podcast is to chat with industry leaders to get their take on the current challenges in the market, but also have a little fun along the way. In this episode, Vincent and AJ catch up with Amin Makani, Vice President of Growth at Bento Box. He explains what exactly it means to be a Vice President of Growth and how search has become a powerful factor in identifying clientele. Vincent and Amin discuss their shared stand-up comedy endeavors. AJ celebrates an anniversary and Vincent rides shotgun. Give it a listen. Ladies and gentlemen, it's that time. It is another episode of The Marketing Stir. I am Vincent Petrofessa, your host, the Vice President of B2B Products here at Starista. Starista, you know us. Identity marketing company, our own data sets, B2B, B2C. We help you market to those data sets, get you new customers. We take in your first party data. Maybe it's broken. Maybe it's garbage. And we make it better. We append attributes to it. If it's fragmented, we cleanse it. We also have our own DSP, Adster, Execute Media. Email me, vincent at starista.com. That is how confident I am in our services. I just gave you my email address. Also, I'm confident, as I always say, in this next person. My co-host, he's riding shotgun, or I'm riding shotgun to him. Either way, we're in the same vehicle. My CEO, Commander-in-Chief, Mr. A.J. Gupta. What's up, A.J.? Vincent, this is actually a special one. So we started, our first recorded podcast was released on April 30th. Mm -hmm. So this is actually about six months in. Wow. uh, Just two days before. But yeah, six months in, I think we have published 30 podcasts and we have probably recorded about over 50 so far. So quite uh, quite the uh, pandemic experiment uh, this has become. And unfortunately, Looks like we had the highest day of cases yesterday, so it's not going anywhere. Yeah, I mean, it's it's unfortunately not. Uh, you're also saying that because you're in Texas. Texas is usually its own animal. That's yep. why you get, everything's bigger in Texas, uh, apparently even corona cases. We once held that title here in Manhattan. We were not proud of that, as we often are proud New Yorkers. I was not proud of that. Only moving companies were proud of that as they have moved and made money throughout this uh, pandemic, but yeah, hopefully it, it, it flattens, but you know, also that's why we put out the marketing stir. We always wanted to do a podcast together. You and I always wanted to do something together. We met right. 10 years ago. We're now working together and we had this time. We said, let's put a podcast together. And I also think that more people are listening to us because of the downtime. Their lives are not as busy traveling, which is why we now have over 46,000. By the time this comes out, maybe 56,000 viewers and listeners to our podcast. So we do appreciate that. And that even makes this episode even more special. I have a lot in common with this next guest. And I realized it in a sort of creepyish, stalkerish way. We'll get to that in a moment. I'm very happy to have this next guest on, ladies and gentlemen. He is the vice president of growth at Bento Box. You've heard of Bento Box. If you haven't, we're going to talk about it. Ladies and gentlemen, Amin Makani. What's going on, Amin? Hey, how's it going? That's a fun intro. That's why I'm here. That's it. I just do the intro and I leave. Yeah, that's good, though. 
you know, that's what we need. We need an intro and then a long monologue from me. Yes. 40, 50 minutes of just, you know, me reading the Mets schedule or something. Exactly. Yeah, some people, I'm, I'm, some yeah. people think it's a TED talk, so you wouldn't be the first one. <laughs> TED talks don't do intros like that. I'm trying to be like at a basketball game, like, you know, and that point guard. Number seven, that's what yeah, I try to do. It, it's, it's, it's a special time. We try to make it special. You're taking time out to talk to us and we, we love it. I mean, for those of you uh, listening and those, those of you watching, tell people about Bento Box. Yeah. Well, we're a hospitality SaaS platform. We started with websites. So we have a website platform for restaurants that's intuitive and easy to use and uh, all the pieces of it are restaurant specific, like menus or the bio section we offer. Uh, and then we offer uh, e-commerce solutions too. Like if you want to do online ordering or you have catering or you want to uh, have a store where you sell some merch. And our CEO kind of thought about the website as like a little bit of a bento box for restaurants. Mm. But they have these different compartments, different pieces they need on their website that is kind of unique to restaurants. And we've been building that platform up over time. Uh, and now we work with 6,000 restaurants all over the world. Um, and we have them using, uh, we have you know, five, six different products that restaurants use uh, purchase from us. That's awesome. And then before I get into what you do there and uh, your title, because your title is a title that has been, you know, hasn't been around for many years, but oh. growth is, is a new title. We'll get to that. But let's talk about how I discovered what we have in common. Let's let's talk about that. So in preparation for talking to Amin, we know we wanted to have him on and we wanted to have Bento Box on, of course. I we know we go to LinkedIn and I saw Amin holding a microphone. Not everyone has a microphone in in their picture holding it. So I was like, okay, either he's a speaker or maybe this guy's a comedian like myself and, and uh, as well as a speaker. So I went to Facebook and I looked him up. I don't think I've ever looked up any other guest on Facebook. And sure enough, I mean, we have 147 people in common and you are also a comedian on the New York City scene. We probably run into each other about 46 times, but we have never realized it, right? We never met before this. Yeah, I, 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 I don't, well, you know, I'm sure we met somewhere at Grizzly Pear or something, something on McDougal Street, I bet. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, uh, well, you know, I say I'm a comedian, but since the pandemic started, I haven't gotten on a stage for a long time. So am I, one funny thing was I had, I have a daughter, uh, 18 months old. And, oh, nice. Congrats, man. Yeah. And, and just, you know, it's tiring. You, you're a dad. It's tiring. And I just finally, um, after hosting an open mic for 10 years, I, about two weeks before the pandemic kind of shut everything down, I was like, all right, I'm giving it up. I'm shut. I'm handing my, my open mic over to somebody and it's called calling it quits. It was a good run while it lasted. And then I was like, I'm going to just give another couple weeks while I uh, transition into somebody else. But then, then the whole thing shut down. And so I felt like, well, you know, somebody was saying something to me. Like, hey, your jokes aren't that good. You need to hang it up one way or another. Yep, the world. And uh, for those of you, uh, I also hosted an open mic for three years at the Greenwich Village Comedy Club and love the Greenwich Village Comedy Club, but hosting an open mic is exhausting. 
because you see the same people every week. Now you might get people who are kind of doing it as a pro mixed in there, but it's basically the same other people just trying to get stage time. And oh my goodness, there's only so much of the same act you can hear every single time you get people. My open mic was free. It was exhausting. So that also prepares you for fatherhood, being patient. <laughs> it sure did 10 years. I mean, Jesus. You know, you know this is the truth I'll tell you. I say 10 years, but it was, about eight years, seven years. It just felt like 10 years. It could have been one year and it would feel like 10 years. Better. 10 years sounds so much better than seven and a half years. I don't know. Not when it comes to the open mic. It's, uh, you know, 10 years of anything else, right? It's our company's been around for 10 years, right? <laughs> open mic. Oh, my goodness. We'll, we'll get into that later. But uh, tell us about this new title. Uh, you know, you went from open mic host to vice president. I'm kidding. Now. <laughs> you, uh, <laughs> so now you're the vice president of growth at uh, Bento Box. We just talked about it on a couple of podcasts ago and recently the growth. This is a new title that you've yeah. been hearing. Um, it hasn't been around. It's like big data was years ago, the man generation. Internet of things. <laughs> yeah, internet of things. Tell us about your, your role yeah, as yeah. vice president yeah, of growth. I think this is this is my take on it. And, and I think also different companies have defined the growth role differently. And, and so uh, in, in our company, it's really growth marketing. And growth marketing and brand marketing are kind of two different, uh, two different. Um, uh, I don't know how to describe it. Kind of not silos, but like two different orgs. pillars. Yeah, and 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 so uh, this is my take: is that um, over the last 10, 15 years, there's been a lot more data available in marketing. Online advertising is a lot more data driven. There, there's more technical components of. Like you guys, you talk about a DSP and a, um, you, uh, a third-party data bringing in, like cleansing it. And, um, there's like, a, uh, especially like B2B, high-volume B2B, there's a lot of work uh, that's a little bit more technical than a traditional marketer used to. And, and that's where I've seen the growth role kind of exist is that it's this kind of data-driven marketing that's more focused on um, funnel metrics than it is maybe on um, brand aesthetic. And so we have, we have a, a VP of marketing and then a VP of growth at our company and, and we both report up to the CEO and that's how it's structured here. I've seen it structured differently than other places. Uh, but that's, I think also a little bit of it is the marketer marketing the own, their own work, right? Demand gen sounds very, um, a cog in a machine, you know, a, a, a layer, a component that is important, but not too important. And it's, it sits, you know, between marketing and sales and, um, but growth has this, um, positive connotation that it's an engine for the business. And so that was a little bit of me spinning up that marketing, but I think, you know, kind of independent of me, other people were spinning up the same thing. And so now I've seen that kind of spread, but, uh, yeah. Talk to us a little bit about, you know, most restaurants are struggling right now, right? I think uh, pretty much all of them. So how, how is that affecting your role and the company at large? Yeah, well, I think one thing I'd, I'd, I'd like to say, though, is that there is a, a bit of a bifurcation, is that not all restaurants are struggling. Some restaurants are doing uh, better than they were before the pandemic. There is a move of uh, 
of, of meals being consumed off-premise more so than on-premise. So there's a shift from uh, dining in to eating takeout and uh, delivery. So we, we offer online ordering as a, a additional software for the website and restaurants have seen a real need for that product because Seamless or Grubhub, Postmates will take 20, 30 percent, 40 percent of your of your order value, order 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 value, and uh, that is when your business is already struggling. It's hard to uh, take to give that money up, and so uh, having first party ordering on your website where you don't pay a commission to anybody is a huge a huge gain. So we're seeing we're seeing a big lift there. Uh, so I think the fine dining um, kind of restaurants that where the experience is very lived at the restaurant and it's hard to recreate that i think it's very difficult for them or restaurants that were um very events driven that they had a lot of corporate events um or or birthday parties or that that kind of stuff i think it's hard for them i think the more fast casual i think the one like i, I don't there's a company called factus that does uh, credit card spending and that and if you look on what they're showing is that like pizza pizza restaurants are doing way better than they ever were before uh the pandemic uh wing wing stop is like i think it's like 30 up 30 percent year over year um so there is there is this kind of bifurcation in the restaurant type and and that, that's going on now and we're trying to serve everybody you know we, we just we have an event management product that we're making it uh free for the rest of the year for restaurants that use it and because we're seeing restaurants start to have smaller events now that 10 15 20 person event that they can have of like a birthday party or a, or a delayed bar mitzvah that kind of thing and 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 so we're, we're trying to help help them out there but it's a challenging time but it's also a time of um what did i say like a sea change of tech technology use. So you're seeing that restaurants, some owners were very slow to adapt technology. And right. now you're seeing this big shift of being able to leverage technology in a, in a really great way to, uh, to keep the business flow. And what's sort of the uh, geographic uh, coverage for the company? Oh, for us? So, you know, we're, we have restaurants in all 50 states, and I think maybe another 15, 20 countries, but I, I bet like the mix is like 90% US, um, 10% abroad, uh, but each day, you know, we started, we were very heavy in New York. If you would have looked at our concentration three years ago, we might've been like 50% New York City, 40% New York City. Okay. But today, as we've grown, we're, um, we have 6,000 restaurants and, and it's just, um, it, it is a good, just cross-section of the United States. And I mean, talk to me about, we always like to ask this question, how you got into marketing, right? Mm -hmm. Did you, go to school for it? Or were you, I was studying political science and then I was like, mm -hmm. nope, I want to do marketing. Tell sure. us how, how you got into the yeah, industry. This is a fun story actually. Um, so I graduated college in 2008 and I studied economics and mathematics and I was going to work <laughs> on Wall Street and do some, I don't know, some sort of subprime mortgage arbitrage. Uh, but then basically the minute I, I graduated, they were like, nope, that's, that's not allowed anymore. That's, that's not good stuff. And those jobs kind of disappeared. So I, um, I was just traveling with friends and I saw a Facebook ad that said, uh, do you like math problems? So I clicked on it and it was for this job at a company called Yext. And, um, and it was a marketing job, but it was supposed to be a data-driven marketing job. Uh, and so I just dropped my resume and I had a call with them. The guys were real smart, all from 
Harvard and, and uh, Duke and MIT. And so I was like, okay, well, let's give it a try. And I, I went there and, and I, I didn't really think I was going to be a marketer. I thought I was going to maybe spend a year or two wait for the economy to bounce back, try to do something on Wall Street, but I really enjoyed it. I, I got all of the kind of quantitative uh, needs I had to, to do in my day-to-day -day job. And I got it out in, in marketing. I wasn't expecting it and I really enjoyed it. And also, I think there's a psychological component of marketing that's really interesting. So there's a creative, but also, you know, left brain, right brain, both combinations that you get, you don't get in a lot of jobs. Yeah, a lot of people describe it as art and science, right? Mm -hmm. It's kind of, yeah, the creative aspect, but there's science to it. It's, uh, it is interesting. Uh, yeah, you're not the first person with a mathematics background to kind of, you know, we, we've got some, we, the rarity, I mean, is like I studied marketing and I'm in marketing now. It's kind of, <laughs> the rarity is like that. We've had someone who was, uh, was a police officer and then got into marketing and, and then uh, political science, there's some philosophy, but yes, a few mathematics kind of, because they like that data aspect uh, of it. Where in your career were you, and again, we have a crack team of producers here. When in your career did you just like travel for five months and was just like, I'm oh, going to yeah, just do yeah. that. Certainly not now with a child. I'll tell you that now. <laughs> so when was that period of your life? Yeah. Yeah. So I, um, so I, yeah, uh, I worked at Yext, which was, which is a software company in New York, uh, from when they were at the very, you know, tiny company, 30 people kind of thing. And, and then it, I was there for almost eight years. It grew to be a public business. And so, um, I don't know, for those who follow uh, that kind of stuff is, is if you're an early employee at a software business that later goes public, there's usually some sort of financial outcome for you that's positive. And so that happened. And, and at that point I was like, all right, well, I um, have always wanted to travel. I, I had visited once, I'd gone to uh, Japan by myself on a trip and um, I met a few people that were telling, they were on around the world trips and they were uh, just telling me about it. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting. Maybe I could do that one day. And so then over the next couple of years, I, um, I did uh, like one trip a year by myself for a couple of weeks. Maybe I went to Greece and I went to Morocco and, and then I thought, okay, now I'm ready. Uh, after the XIPO and I just like got a backpack full of stuff and a passport. I tried to hit mostly countries that didn't require visas mm. and just uh, got on my way. So it was just like a backpack and a one, it was a one-way flight to, to Germany. I had a friend who lived there, uh, one-way flight to Germany. And then, and then that was it. Oh, the solo traveler, man. I like that. You just, uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So that was, that was about three, three years ago. I got home. Oh, wow. Okay. So you were, how, you were there for how long? Well, I, I, it was like five months of travel. That's cool. And I mean, how many countries did you say? I don't Travels. know. It's in my LinkedIn. It's like maybe 20, 20, 25. It was like a blistering pace. I think that was another thing where like I could have done, you know, one country for five months or three yeah. countries, you know, but I, I guess I wanted to just keep moving and keep, you know, just like be on the road really. And, and I guess there was just as much as experiencing the country as it was about experiencing like being a journeyman and, and like being this nomad. <laughs> So like there was something about it where like you just were never that comfortable. I mean, if you got to sleep in the same bed for even three nights, it was like a unbelievable uh, <laughs> accomplishment, you know, like you never got that kind of stuff. Um, but it was, it was a lot of fun. That's pretty cool. Yeah. My, my goal is to do uh, one a year, which uh, 
with uh, two little kids is challenging yeah. enough. So <laughs> how, how old? I have a seven and a two-year-old. So. Oh, okay. Yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Uh, so coming back to bento box, are, do restaurants you see kind of using bentos in conjunction with some of the delivery systems like yeah. uh, Uber Eats type company? Yeah, I think so. What we try to say is that you should use, um, you should, you should, you know, you should be on those. They're great for demand gen. We're like you, you in, in discovery, uh, consumers that don't know about you right. should, can, can order from you there. But then once they're your customer and they're coming to your website, you shouldn't link out to them because that's like customers that you've brought yourself. You've earned them. You've earned that, that, uh, from, from the, from the diner and you should keep, you should be keeping that, that hundred percent of that money. And so, um, that's kind of what, what we, you know, tell restaurants, there's always some things where they, sometimes they want to just please, you know, Hey, you can order from wherever, but, but we try to tell them, Hey, if you really, if you, you can save a lot of money, if you have them order direct from you. And then, and then if you don't do in-house delivery, we have a, a third party fulfillment delivery as well. Gotcha. Okay. So the goal is really for you to help them manage that customer relationship through your platform after uh, say they order through Uber Eats and they become yeah, a client. Exactly, exactly. That's what we want. You know, I've been seeing something more than I ever have in New York City. What I use, I mean, I use like Seamless. And in the menu, as you're looking through Seamless, companies are saying in the description of the item, Come directly to me. You'll get twenty percent off. Come directly to I me. Seen that, but that's incredible. Yeah, I, I I saw that, and and people are are when we're all even if we're ordering through Seamless, you'll get like uh, something attached to the bag saying, "Next time, order through us directly." And I'm like, "That's a great idea." I was like, "I understand there were some fees that were taken out, but I didn't know of the tremendous amount of fees, yeah. like twenty, thirty percent that are taken out of, of that." Yeah. It's, it's a strange, um, I, I have a lot of sympathy for restaurant owners because I feel like there's a lot of people in the space that um, take a lot of value and there's not a lot of people who are creating a lot of value for them. And it's, it's really hard to survive in this changing environment, especially if you feel like an old school restaurant owner that's old, owned a restaurant for a long time, you're trying to survive in this pandemic and there's all these kind of companies trying to take advantage of you. And I really, I'm proud to say, I really believe that we're one of, we're, out, we're on the good guy's side. You know, we're, we're building software that we're, we're not taking a commission. We're letting them keep, keep their money. And, and we have like a high conversion rate on the pages because we're design comp, design based company. And we're seeing, you know, 10% plus of our, of the visitors convert into orders, uh, which is very high for, for the industry sense. Yeah. And, and what prompted me to start talking to, to reach out to bento boxes, you, you know, I'm seeing it more and more right, right on the, uh, on the website there. And now it's so it's, it's made and now talking to you, it's made me feel some assurance. It's almost kind of like that, that check for security, right? You get that, like, uh, that antivirus check or Neurotin, I forget yeah, what it yeah, is. Yeah. So you, you get that on there. So that that's nice. But I mean, talk to us about, cause we get into the nitty gritty here on the marketing stir. Who is an ideal client for you? Obviously it's restaurants, but is a lot of the demand generation going back to you know, that you're doing? Is it all B2B marketing that you're doing? Who are you reaching? What channels? 
channels are you using? Email marketing, display. People yeah, yeah, yeah. love to know that. Yeah, you know, we use a lot of um, search. I think that I think well, I think we use search a little bit before. We always use search, but I think right now you're seeing a time period where restaurants themselves are doing a lot of research on technology offerings more so than they ever have, right? So you're having this kind of massive, what I would call a pull forward of restaurants doing new websites, doing online ordering, wanting to have some kind of catering offering or private events. You're seeing like all of this interest right now. So like um, search is huge for us, but then we're also doing Facebook, um, Facebook to drive that search. So we're seeing a lot of good evidence of running Facebook ads on big custom audience lists, and then having those people show up and search, searching for the searching for online ordering or website-related queries, and then capturing that way. So kind of this like full circle. We even see kind of my favorite version, the person who does a lot of research, where you'll see them, we'll, 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 we'll get their, we'll have their information, we'll have ads showing on Facebook, then they'll go on search, then they'll go to one or two of our, our customer websites and click the bottom link made for by Bento Box. And then now they've, they've seen some ads, they've read a little on our site, and they've seen some of our work. And I think those are some of our, you know, those are some of the best leads we're going to have. And is uh, search the primary vehicle or but are you trying connected tv or any of the new programmatic we tried some of the stuff um but our our like audience size like our custom audience lists just aren't big enough to get a good good to serve and then if we do a demographic thing we get too many non-restaurant owners so it's it's, it hasn't really been available to us got it got it And, and within restaurants are there certain kind of sizes or that you focus on you know, I like to say no, but then of course the answer is like, <laughs> yes, probably. <laughs> um, I, I, I think that, that, um, restaurants, uh, I think we have a great offering for multi-concept restaurants. So you are a group that has like five different concepts, you know, Bob's bar, Bob's burgers, Bob's, uh, fish grill and you have a different website for each one and you want to keep a cohesive theme and you want to link to them together you want um but you want a distinct design for each of them i think we can offer something that no one else can offer that way like you know like if you look at landry's which is you know biggest biggest hospitality group in america you know and and uh you know, I'm not, I'm not saying that we, we make their sites, but go visit some of their sites, you know, go visit Rainforest Cafe and uh, uh, go visit Joe's Crab Shack. If, if you, if you're, um, so, so I think that, that's, I think that's like a core um, uh, target, but then also I think that there's like really like small mom and pop shops that like want a high quality design uh, and they, that that's something they can get from us. I think sometimes at our price point, which is, you know, between 100 and 200 dollars a month um, is a little high for the very, very low end restaurants um, that are kind of new, new to the business. But um, I think most people that have some that have some amount that they're willing to spend on marketing, uh, I think we're a good fit. And I mean, I'm, I'm guessing with kind of the uh, small restaurant owners, uh, there's probably a need for more hand holding, and it's not just like they're going to your website and starting to set up a shop themselves yeah. right yeah i mean i think that's one thing that I, that I, maybe is not uh, clear what i said but every single restaurant gets an onboarding manager gets some okay. design work there is no self-serve you know this Got is it. this yeah. is a, this is a white glove service it's it's premium service for uh restaurants that 
uh, what I think I think most restaurants want is something that's not uh, uh, do it yourself. I think the do it yourself for the restaurant owner is very hard. I think that there's some that are savvy enough and maybe they can have, but then what ends up happening is you have somebody that's like a neighbor or a friend that says they're going to do it for you and they're taking a long time and it doesn't look quite right. And if you want to make any updates, you have to talk to them about it and then they do it and they charge you on a per hour basis. And um, it's really not really, it's really not a great experience, you know? And uh, so I, I think that this is what we're offering is something that's like needed in the space. Now you're starting to see some competitors pop up that are kind of copycats in a sense. Um, but I think long-term you're going to see um, see most restaurants use a service like this, I think long, long-term. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I, I, I think that a lot of restaurants are, like you said, they need that digital transformation piece because they were like, oh no, everyone knows my pizza. They're just gonna come in. I'm like, well, now your restaurant's closed and they don't know if you're doing delivery anymore. They don't know if you're doing a takeout menu. So you need to communicate with them in some way. So I guess my question, I mean, is that we've talked to many industries and companies on this podcast, some that have gone in the wrong direction, unfortunately, some that have gone in the right direction. Are you seeing an increase in the demand for your your service? Yes. So I mean, we, we we're <laughs> much like the coronavirus. First of all, it's been ups and downs. You know, it's, it, at times I think we've seen a huge increase, huge pull forward of restaurants that need digital solutions, need web websites or online ordering, especially direct online ordering. And and so we we have this like increase in lead volume, but we also have a lot of restaurants that are going out of business, and restaurants that are just struggling and then they're not really able to make it, and or they're they're barely hanging by. So you do have an increase in demand but then you also do have some downsides. So I think that each month is kind of a surprise where it also depends on like local regulations, how much people are dining in, how much people are. And also it's not always just regulations. Sometimes people, uh, the city or state might let people eat in restaurants, but people aren't still aren't going. You know, I think I think that's like one thing in Manhattan now we have indoor dining, but the, every place isn't full. There's a lot of people that aren't, are still unwilling to go. And so, um, each region is different, but I, I think it was like a net positive for several months, but I think now maybe it's a slight net negative, but it's not like, we're not like down a ton, you know, like some, some, some industries. It's not, it's not travel. No. Yeah. It's not travel yeah. and it's not Zoom. Yeah. But it's like, yep, that, that makes sense. <laughs> is, yeah. is that a good, that, that, that's a great, that's a very good comparison. Yeah. It's uh, for a couple months, for a couple months, it looked like we were zoom. Maybe not exactly, but let's say yeah. Yeah, uh, months, another web conferencing, you know, partner, <laughs> not as big as zoom. Yeah. Yeah. For a couple months, we looked like it was, it was going like that. And then, and then I think it settled in. Um, and, and now, and now I think it's, I, you know, again, I have a lot of sympathy for restaurants. They're trying so hard right now to make I it. I know. And it, there's just yeah. so many things being thrown at them. It's, you know, it, it feels very unfair and they're, they're trying their best and we're here to help them, but you know, they're, they're having Rocky and we're, we're kind of along for the ride as, as things go up and down, but mostly, I think mostly up for us, but yeah. Oh, that, that's good. I mean, you, you feel for the restaurants. I mean, and I, we live in New York city and, it's if you travel to New York, you'll see restaurants are 
on sidewalks. They're building out, coming in. They're trying to make it as really nice as possible. They're having people do like graffiti art and they're building these structures. And the minute it rains, you're like, oh no, you feel bad for them. It's getting cold in New York and the heat lamps are maybe coming out, but then you're like, oh no, because I do feel I was, I went to a bar a few weeks ago for the first time indoor, me, I was sitting like 12 feet away from my friend, temperature checks. I think people were still a little scared here in New York to go inside. They were going outdoor dining. So that's kind of what we're faced with. And it's, it, this is New York City. This is like the Mecca of restaurants. You want to go to 12 Ethiopian restaurants, you normally could. And that's what people love about New York City. So yeah, I, we're definitely feeling it here. It's kind of, it's, it's definitely different here. But that wasn't my point. My point is I want to understand more about what are some new services and solutions that you're offering for yeah. these restaurants moving forward? Some changes that Bento Box had to make because of these very same changes I'm kind of referring yeah. to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, so we, we did, um, we launched Contact with Dining where um, the, re the restaurant diner from a QR code can pull up the menu on the phone, but then also order, put the table number in that they're in and everything can happen without any contact with the server. And so there's that. We also like, if you don't want to do that and you just want to have a QR code that pulls your menu up, we'll also help you with that, you know? But um, the contactless dining has been really interesting uh, also because it, it can, uh, for certain restaurants, we've seen a, a lot more order capacity they can handle a lot more customers than they previously could there's just this like workflow that happens very quickly uh they they, they order on their phone food comes order on the phone food comes so like one server can handle kind of 60 guests instead of like 15 guests i like it so yeah and we, we launched that kind of i want to say august uh and and um it's we're getting some good traction I, you know i think it, some restaurants are slow to adopt this I think that they're afraid of, uh, that it doesn't have the same hospi hospitality feel. So we're, we're kind of navigating through that and getting, getting them more comfortable. But I think long-term there's a lot of belief that this is an interesting uh, way for uh, customers to interact with the restaurant and, and some op operational efficiency opportunity. Gotcha. And then, you know, being kind of a, uh at core, our data company, we're always curious how companies are utilizing data sets. So are you helping in restaurants also kind of maintain and keep their uh, CRM data updated and uh, uh, fresh? Is that part of the service that you're providing? Yeah, I mean, the restaurant has a database with us. And I think that's one thing that's uh, pretty useful is that you can, um, you you have visitors that have come to your website. Uh, maybe they filled out, they, they gave their email like years ago and now you can use that email to uh, send them a promo to get some online ordering. We have um, a couple of features for, uh, if you're a new customer to a restaurant, first time order, you can set up for an automated, um, automated uh, email campaign where it offers you a, a, a coupon code to come back on the second order. So, and then we also have a, a what we call um, 
it's been a while. If a rest, if a, if a customer hasn't ordered for 30 days, it'll send them a promo, and then we'll have we have some you know loyalty uh, coming in, in the, down the pipe. So these are kind of features that I think a sophisticated restaurant would be able to handle on their own. But like for like a smaller restaurant, having like this kind of you know marketing automation for your to to drive orders is a is a pretty big win. That, that's uh, that's cool to know. I, I I've been a frequent user of Uber Eats, but after what you said. I'm gonna pay closer attention to those uh, brochures that sometimes come with the food saying, order from our website. So. Yeah, just, you know, just, I, I myself also understand sometimes you just end up ordering from the Uber Eats or the Postmates, whatever, I get it. But yeah. just give them a try, try once on their website direct and see, see if the experience is, is okay for you and, and, you know. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and now, you know, one of uh, the staple questions we asked on the podcast uh, has to do with LinkedIn. So much based on your title, I'm guessing you get a lot of uh, LinkedIn messages from various people, right? So what's, what's something that gets your attention and what is something that really kind of pisses you off? Well, okay. This one, I, I think... If someone says, hey, I am a friend of blah, 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 I know this person, and I actually know that person, and, and maybe they don't imply that they told me to message them, but they right. have something that makes me think that they are like, kind of like this like social proof kind of validation that this person is uh, related or something um, you know, that I, maybe they went to the same school as me, or they went to a university in the same area, or like something that gives some, that person some validation about the person, you know, like this is something that, I, this is someone I can trust. So I think that, that, because I feel like so, there's so much spam stuff comes through, right? So, so what I'm looking for is like, can I, can I trust this person, or will they waste my time? There's also, um, I, I, I have, maybe this is naive of me, but I think if friend of a friend, will have a little bit more decency to, but maybe not, but you know, you hope. Um, and then I, I think your other question was that, uh, what do I, what makes me mad, right? Yep. Yeah, what makes me most mad is when someone's like, are you not hitting your MQL numbers? Or just like throwing jargon at me? SQLs <laughs> over MQL times 16 is gonna go up 52% if you have this meeting with me. I'm like, go away. If you talk like this during the meeting, I'm gonna to want to jump out of a window. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome! Yeah, it's uh, well, and I always think that sales leaders need to. Well, hey, listen to our podcast, right? Because I always we we ask this question to every guest, and we have our own business development reps here, SDRs. I say you know, not 3000 emails to people. I say, look, listen to every episode of the marketing stir and listen to every single VP of this chief that. And we ask this question, this is how it's the personalized approach. That's what gets me to answer emails. That's what gets AJ to answer emails, throwing a compliment about him and he will set up a meeting with you. That's sure. how you, you, you do it here. But so, yeah, the, love the advice. Uh, I mean, because people ask me this all the time. It's, this, is the other, uh, this is the only other time we've had a, a comedian uh, on the podcast as well. How did you get started in the stand-up comedy? And 
Tell us a joke. No, I'm kidding. I would never do that. I know. <laughs> I know. I hate that so much. I would never ask that. Trust me. But tell me how you got into stand-up comedy and, and has that helped you out in any of your roles? Yeah, yeah. A friend of mine, uh, a person I met, a kind of acquaintance, I guess, and I walked into a bar and it was kind of loud. It was at a cat. Do you remember Cabin on Second Avenue there? Yeah. Sean Patton and Chesley Calloway. I don't know if mm -hmm. you know but they had a show that was real rock. I love Sean Patton, yeah. What'd you say? I love Sean Patton. I, uh, yeah, very funny. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, it was on Second Avenue. Uh, a cabin was named, it's closed now. But um, we walked in, it was loud. And so me and my friend thought, okay, hey, let's go to, there's a little back room. Let's go to the back room. And we said, and we were having a good conversation. Someone comes in and says, hey, and we're gonna have a comedy show here in a little bit. If you guys want to stick around, I was new to New York, so I didn't know about this whole comedy show in New York thing. So I stick around. Sean Patton comes on, so funny, hilarious. So they're okay. I'll come back to that show again sometime. So I'm walking down the street, see that same bar. Walk in, Donald Glover. You know, previous pre childhood came, you know, pre community, mm -hmm. but he was big on YouTube. I was, I saw, I'd, mm -hmm. I'd seen him on YouTube before. And so I was like, holy moly, Donald Glover, he's going to be on community. So I started going every week. I started going every week. And then one week, um, my friend was bombing. He was hosting, he was bombing. And he goes out to the audience. He's like, hey, let me tell me something to talk about. He was trying to close the show. Um, and somebody said Kanye West, because he had just, um, um, he just cut off Taylor Swift. He went on the stage. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I had a Kanye West story. I had a quick, quick 30 second Kanye West story. And he, he let me come up to the uh, stage. Nice. And, and the room was packed. And I got a huge laugh. Uh, and, and after that, I was just um, hooked. That's awesome. Yeah. And then you got right up there. You didn't care. You didn't get, uh, I had a lot to drink that day. So that, yeah, yeah. that helps. I think, I, you know, I, I also had a, a low bar because I think the rest of the audience thought I was like an annoying person in the, in the audience. So then, so when I got up, I got, I had a low bar and then I just hit it and then in it, that, it was great. That's awesome. I like that. That's a great story. But now, you know, we, haven't been able to do stand-up living in New York. I've been doing certain shows. Uh, I did a Leukemia Lymphoma Society gig recently for Mr. AJ Gupta, uh, pro bono, as my generous gift to him and that uh, and the crew there. You, you know, I'm starting to feel like you didn't want to do it pro bono. <laughs> <laughs> no, for you, of course, I do anything. Pro, well, not anything <laughs> pro bono. I, I need a paycheck. Anyway, but that it's, it's been different, but what have you been doing? I, I love doing this podcast because it's a, it's a creative outlet. What have you been doing for creative outlets recently? Yeah, that's a great, you know, I started writing uh, a newsletter. It comes out once a month about stocks. All right. And I make some stock picks and I compare how I'm doing against the market and I jib jab about something. Or I, I try to be funny, you know, it's a little bit finance, a little bit funny. A uh, little economics, and uh, yeah, I've been writing that. I have, a, I don't know, it's still small, few hundred followers. Um, maybe each post will get like a thousand views or something. That's uh, cool. What's the name of it? It's called Mo Money Mo Connie. <laughs> Mo Money Mo Connie. I like Mo it. I like Mo it. Connie. Um, and and the website is moconnie.substack.com. Love it. Love it. That's uh, that's awesome. Yeah, that's you got you need the creative outlets. That's this this podcast allows me to do that and i get to talk to great companies and great people and it's and also companies find us and they're like oh, i've never heard of you guys before like let's have a conversation so it's been pretty cool yeah that's really great i love i, I had a great time 
maybe it was, if we're still rolling, it's okay though. I'll yeah. tell you we had a great, I had a great time. Oh, good, good. Yeah, no, we are still rolling. A few more questions, but <laughs> that's always good. Hey, that's a first also. That's like a first. During, that is yeah, a first. three quarters of the way through, you're having a good time. I like people it. Are, I mean, people are normally at this point saying, uh, is, is it over yet? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. So I've been kind of coming back to the uh, restaurant industry at large. Obviously, I, I live in Texas, so my views are a little bit skewed here because you go to a restaurant Friday night and there's like a two hour wait, right? So people people look at the pandemic very differently. Yeah, I, 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 I want to ask you about that. How, how you know, I don't have, I don't have that insight. Yeah. Is it, so I read before that like it was like that for a while, but then I thought it subsided and now no, I'm telling maybe about 10 days before. So the only thing I've personally been doing besides going to the grocery store is uh, playing tennis, which is rated one of the safer things you can do. Uh, but yeah, we, we had a tournament, uh, socially distanced and all that. And we decided for the first time in like months to go get some dinner and drinks. And we go to Twin Peaks, which is a big kind of sports bar chain here. And to our shock, they said, uh, come back in one hour, 45 minutes. And I looked inside and I was like, wow, I don't think I want to come back. <laughs> tons of people so, or, or, or space. Yeah. Totally, oh, wow. totally packed. Now, granted, they were leaving one table open here and there, but that was more like for show than any kind of uh, real basis for it. Now, I, I will say I asked if we could go to the bar and they said, no, if your group has more than four people, you can't sit at the bar. So mm. there are a few things here and there. But by and large, I would say things are back to more. If, if you're going out in Texas, outside of the roads where most people are still working from home, you wouldn't think there was a pandemic going on. Right. So are you uh, what part of Texas? San Antonio. Okay, okay. Yeah, right right in the city too. So it's not like we're in uh, some rural Texas county here. <laughs> so uh so yeah, kind of, you know, from your perspective, do you think uh once even when there's a vaccination, do you think people are going to be ordering more uh, from home or do you think people are going to return in flocks? Yeah, well, so I think that there is um there's a portion of the um pre-pandemic, there was still a portion of ordering that was calling, where you call the restaurant and you, you, you this is still, you know, I, I think in the United States, they were saying it's 30%, 30, 40% pre-pandemic. I think most of that will go away. I, I think, you know, maybe not, we'll see. So I think that's, I think that, um, this is so hard because I think about this every day and I oscillate too. Some, sometimes I'm like, hey, you know, delivery and takeout is here to stay at high levels. Sometimes I'm like, uh, nah, people want to get back and eat in a group. I, I think, well, if, if you ever live in New York City uh, or if you've been here, people order, people order all the time, you know, five, seven days a week, order, order in. Um, I don't think the rest of the country really does that. Like you kind of, you cook most of your meals at home Monday, Sunday through, through Thursday and maybe Friday, Saturday, right. you, you order something. I think the weekday ordering is the New York City thing. And I think other places are starting to pick it up. So maybe we'll, maybe you'll see that. Uh, I think also some concepts like this idea of ghost kitchens, which was, I, I don't know if you guys are familiar, but I'll talk about it for a second. Ghost kitchens, um, a kitchen, a, a restaurant that doesn't exist. It doesn't have a, a physical place you can dine in 
it's all off premise and they basically live on the third party delivery sites and they could have, oh, okay. it could be one kitchen that is like five restaurants. There's like a Thai restaurant and a Jamaican restaurant and a Italian restaurant oh. and they just cook the food there. If you went to a restaurant that offered all three of those cuisines, you would be like, no way. But if you saw three separate versions of this restaurant on Seamless, Uber Eats, you wouldn't really think twice about it. Hey, this has the same address. Because you wouldn't know, you wouldn't check. Right. So I think the ghost kitchen was the thing they were talking about a lot over the last couple of years without that much traction. And now we're seeing a huge, tra- I, I don't know if you guys know about this thing, but Chuck E. Cheese's has a ghost kitchen that they put on seamless of their pizzas that uh, is called like, you know, some Italian like Giovanni's pizza. <laughs> and, and oh, I didn't know that. And then also I've seen Applebee's has a wing spot um, that's out of Applebee's kitchens. That's like a, you know, wing, not like a, I don't know, wings and thing. I don't know. I'm making oh, wow. Wow, so, that's fascinating. The idea of like kind of unbundling the restaurant and then re chopping it up and kind of like, you know, uh, I think that's going to exist for a long time, but then um, I don't know. I, I hope, you know, this is what I hope, this is what I hope is that restaurants are more resilient on the other side and just all restaurants just have more tools in their toolkits to survive. Because the thing is we talk a lot about the difficulty that restaurants have today, which is true, but restaurants are always going out of business. Restaurants have a high failure rate, even unrelated to pandemics, they have a high failure rate. And is there a way where there's enough tools in their toolbox where, oh, oh, this isn't working, spin up a ghost kitchen. This isn't working, do this. Are are there more, do people learn, do restaurant owners, restaurateurs learn from the pandemic on how to survive in hard times in the, in the future? I think that would be really great. I hope that's the case. And I think that is an awesome closing statement. Now it's over, right? See, I love your enthusiasm. It's, this has been awesome, I mean, to, to get to know you uh, on a personal level, to get to know Bento Box. This is a, a different take on any of the topics that we've had on the podcast thus far and get bento.com is where you could find bento box yep get bento.com yep get bento.com that's amin makani he is the vp of growth at bento box this has been awesome it flowed and then you look up and boom it's over that's amin that's aj i of course am vincent this has been another episode of the marketing stir Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. We'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to the Marketing Stir podcast by Starista. Please like, rate, and subscribe. If you're interested in being a guest on the podcast, email us at themarketingstir at starista.com. Thanks for listening.